24. And we're going to finish this chapter today. And we're going to begin at verse 32. So it'll be Matthew 24, verse 32. And when you get there, let me remind you that Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And he's answering two questions that have been put to him by the disciples. Question number one is, when is the temple going to be destroyed? Because he mentioned that not one stone would be standing. And he said, well, when's that going to happen? And number two, what will be the sign, singular, of your coming? And uh, when they ask him about his coming, in their minds, they're thinking, well, when are you going to march back into Jerusalem, overthrow the Roman government, judge them, and set up your kingdom on earth? Uh, that's how they're thinking. They're thinking Messiah is going to do it right now. So, Jesus proceeds to list uh, events that must precede the collapse of the temple. And we saw like in verse 8, where he talks about wars, rumors of wars, and all those kinds of things that you're familiar with. He said in verse 8, all these things, by the way, it's important that you see that phrase, these things are the beginning of sorrows. These kinds of things have to happen before the temple is destroyed. And then he goes on in the rest of the passage to talk about tribulation and trials and martyrdom even. The disciples, many of them would be put to death for their faith. He talks about the gospel being preached throughout the world, which at that time was the Roman Empire, and it will eventually reach Rome, the hub of the world, center of the world, as far as the Romans are concerned. And that the temple will be desecrated, which he calls the abomination of desolation, which is going to take place when the Roman soldiers come in, they enter the temple, and they desecrate the temple. He says all these things have to happen. He says when these things happen, especially when you see that temple desecrated, made impure by Gentiles walking in, he tells his disciples, head for the hills. Get out of town quick, because... If you don't, you're not going to survive. Okay. Regarding his coming, he cannot come until these events take place. He can't come before the temple is destroyed. Okay. Uh, he's not going to set up his kingdom before that happens. He, there's certain things that must happen. Okay. Um, and he says when he does come, uh, there's not going to be any doubt about it. It's going to be like lightning shining from the east to the west. It's not going to catch... Everybody's going to see it when it happens. Okay, So, it's important that you get this. Now, the other thing I mentioned a couple weeks ago was this. By the time Matthew writes his gospel, writes of these events, about 50 years have passed. He's describing events that take place in 30 AD, but he's not writing them until decades later, about them until decades later. And that means his readers know something. They know Jesus didn't march back into Jerusalem and overthrow the Roman government, don't they? They know, in fact, the Roman government arrested him and put him on a cross, don't they? They also know that God raised him from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand. They all know that. So, when they are reading this passage, they realize that Jesus has to come back a second time. See? The disciples thought he was just going to march in right then and overthrow Rome. They were wrong. But Matthew's readers, 50 years later, realized that he has to come back a second time, a second coming. 
And that's what he describes here. So we're going to pick up at verse 32. And uh, we're going to divide this into two sections. Verses 32 through 35, Jesus gives a lesson of the fig tree. And then verses 36 to the end, he talks about the timing of his return, or the timing of his coming. Okay, so that's going to be our outline, and we have some subdivisions in there. So let's look at the lesson from the big tree. So look at verse 32. Now learn the parable. Notice this is a parable. You don't have to take it literally. This is a symbolic language, and it's a, a parable is uh, a story about events, common events known to human beings to drive home a point. So he says, learn the parable of the fig tree. So they're to learn something from this parable. And here's what you're to learn. When its branches, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know the summer is near. That's a key word there, the word know in this whole passage. So just sort of mark that word in your mind. Okay? So, here's what he says. Based on common knowledge of the day, you know summer's right around the corner when the leaves begin to sprout on a fig tree. You know that, right? You know that. So that's the observation, that's the, the thing that he says. Okay. Now look at this, verse 33. So you also, when you see all these things, all what things? All the things that he was just talking about. Wars, rumors of war, desecration of the temple, gospel being preached, martyrdom. When you see all those things that he just described in the previous passage, know it is near at the doors. What is near? From the context, it's that the destruction of the temple is near. Once these things happen, because that's what he's been talking about, things that must precede the destruction of the temple, once these things happen, then you know the destruction of the temple is near. It's even at the door. So that's what he's saying right there. Okay. Uh, and then once the temple's destroyed, that opens the way for the next major event, which is Christ's second coming. Okay. So look at verse 34. Assuredly, you can count on it, truly, truly, I say to you, this generation, what generation? The one that's listening to him right there. This generation will by no means pass away until what? All those things I've just been talking about come to pass. You'll see the wars, rumors of war, the famines. You'll see the desecration of the temple. You'll see all those events. You'll see martyrdom. Heaven and earth, he says, will pass away. But my words will not pass away. In other words, what I've just told you is trustworthy. You can count on it. Okay, so, he's saying these events in 30 AD. When's the temple destroyed? 70 AD. That generation of 40 years does not pass until the temple is destroyed. Does that make sense? That's the context. Okay. Now we start this second section, beginning at verse 36. And this talks about the timing of his coming. And you'll see that when you look at the context, that is the discussion now. So look what he says in verse 36. But of that day, meaning, or for of that day, whatever 
And what, what day is he talking about? Now he's going to be talking about his coming and uh, setting up the kingdom. Look what he says. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So Jesus is switching. And now he's going to talk about his coming. He's going to answer that second question. Okay. And uh, once that temple is destroyed, that opens the way for the Lord to come and set up his kingdom. But of that day and hour, guess what? No one knows when that's going to happen. And uh, it could happen any time. It could have happened the day after the temple was destroyed. Okay. It could happen 3,000 years after the temple was destroyed. No one knows the day or the hour, which simply is another way of saying the timing. Okay? I know one thing. He couldn't come before the temple was destroyed. Would everybody agree with that? Okay. But he had to come after the temple was destroyed. He couldn't come before the temple was destroyed. But he has to come after the temple is destroyed. When? Well, no one knows <laughs> when, when that's going to be. That's what he's saying. Now, who doesn't know that? Humans don't know that, according to verse 36. Remember I said one of the key words is the word what? Anybody remember? No. There's some things you can know. You can know about when the temple is going to be destroyed because certain things have to happen. But there's something that you can't know. And you can't know the timing of his coming. Humans can't know, verse 36. Look what else in verse 36. Angels don't know. See? Not even angels know the timing of his coming. Who knows? Father only. Guess who else doesn't know the timing of his coming? Jesus. Jesus doesn't know the timing of his coming. It's very important that you get that. Okay? So every generation from the time of the disciples, once the temple is destroyed, all the way up into the present, must be on the lookout for the Lord's return. Because no one knows the timing. No one knows the day or the hour when it's going to happen. And yet we have people predicting it. All kinds of crazy people predicting when the Lord's going to return. Now he's going to make an analogy and you're going to see how all this fits together. Look in verse 37. Watch the analogy. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be what? The coming of the Son of Man. See, he's going to make an analogy or a comparison. What's the comparison? The comparison is between the Lord's coming and the days of Noah. Okay, what's the comparison? Look at verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, it was business as usual, people going through their daily affairs, nothing out of the ordinary. And look at the next word. Until. Do you see that? Business as usual, what? Until. Until when? Until the day Noah entered the ark. And then it was too late. Because once Noah entered the ark, they were judged. They were judged. See? The only people that were saved were Noah and his family. Everybody else was judged. Look what it says. Until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now look at verse 39. 
and did not know, you see the word know there again? Look, did not know until the flood came and did what? Swept them away, took them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. That's the analogy. The analogy between Christ's coming, the timing of His coming, is in comparison to the flood of Noah. Uh, how did it happen in the days of Noah? They were caught off guard. It happened unexpectedly. And then once the flood came, it was too late. And they were just, very important thing, taken away in judgment. The only ones that survived were Noah and his family. Now look at verse 40. Now he gives us an illustration. Then, in the time when Christ comes, two men will be in the field. One will be what? Taken. The other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be what? Taken. The other left. Where will they be taken? They will be taken in judgment. Just as those in the days of Noah were taken away in judgment. Now some people try to make verse 40 and 41 the rapture. This is not the rapture. This is talking about the Lord's coming and what's going to happen. When He comes, some people are going to be caught off guard and they're going to be taken away and judged. And guess who will be left? The ones that are saved. Just as who was left in the days of Noah? Noah and his family, they were saved. Everyone else was what? Taken away. You see that? Taken away. Is that what it says? Taken away, verse 39. What happens to the people in verse 40 and 41? They're what? Taken away in the same thing. This is not the rapture. There's a whole series of books out called Left Behind. And in that series of books, the rapture takes place, and the believers are taken away to heaven, and it's the lost people who are left behind. Isn't it? But in this scenario, it's just the opposite. Who's taken away? The lost people are taken away in judgment. And who's left? The believers are left. Okay? So that's very important that you get that. Now look at the lesson in verse 42. Because here's what he wants you to realize. Look what he said. Watch therefore... For you do not know, there's that key word again, you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. In other words, be on alert. The word watch means be like a watchman at night. Be on guard. Be ready. Don't get caught off guard. Now notice who he speaks to in verse 42. You see the pronoun you? Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. Who's he speaking to there? Speaking to the apostles, isn't it? Why would he be speaking to the apostles? Because any time after the temple is destroyed, guess what? Christ can return. It can happen in their lifetime. We know it didn't, but it could have, right? Any time after the temple is destroyed, it could have happened. Now you'll see that this is reinforced by the first parable in verse 43. So here's the first parable that drives home that point. But know this. Now notice the word know there again. Do you see that? There are things that you know, should know and things that you can't know. 
Here's one of the things that you should know. Here it is. Know this. But know this. That if the master, and this is a parable again, if the master of the house had known the hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. That's true, isn't it? If I know that there's been, let's say, crime in my neighborhood, people's houses have been broken into, I might uh, be on alert. I might get a motion detector. Because I don't want to get caught off guard and have my house robbed or somebody in my house hurt. See? Uh, but how about if um, I know there's crime in the neighborhood and I don't do anything about it and I just go to bed? And it happens. See, I've been warned, but guess what? I didn't do anything about it. So he says, if the master had known these things, notice there's no again, he would have watched. But guess what? He didn't watch. See? He didn't watch. And that's the important thing. He was called off guard. Uh, and we must make sure that we're not like the master. We've been warned. We need to make sure that we're not called off guard. If we do, like the master, we'll lose it all. We'll just lose it all. If you're not ready, you're going to suffer the consequences. Now look at verse 44. Here's the lesson. The lesson based on the parable. You ready? Look what it says. Verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Again, notice that Jesus is warning his disciples there. Do you see that? Warning his disciples, the ones that he's talking to right there on the mount. Why is he doing this? Why is he warning them? Because once the temple's destroyed, guess what? That opens the way for Christ to come back at any minute. They had to be ready. Now, I had somebody ask me a question the other day. They said, well, if Jesus knew he wasn't coming back, then why would he warn them? Well, that's the point. He doesn't know when he's coming back. Only the Father knows when he's coming back. Even Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. He doesn't come back until God says, go! So he's warning them, as soon as that temple's destroyed, you just need to be ready. Now, I know he hasn't come back yet. But guess who now has to be ready? Yeah, we have to be ready. Okay, now look at parable number two. Okay, this gets real interesting. Look at verses 45 and 46. Parable number two. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Now, that was a guy who was a fool. Now, let's find out about who's a faithful and wise servant. Whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find doing so. Now here is a guy who works for a, a, a master, and the master's going to be away for a few days, or maybe a month. He doesn't tell him how long he's going to be away. He just says, I'm going to be absent for a while, and I'm I'm giving you an assignment. And uh, when he comes back, guess what? The guy's been doing what the master said. It says, that man's blessed. <laughs> the other guy lost it all. This guy's blessed. He's rewarded. Now, what did the master tell him to do while he was gone? What does it say there in verse 45? Give them food. 
Wow. Isn't that interesting? That's what he should be doing while the master's gone. He should be feeding people. You'll see why that's important in chapter 25 when Jesus says, I was hungry and you what? You're going to see how it all fits together. See, they, this man had an assignment in this parable <coughs> and he carried it out and as a result, he's blessed, he's rewarded. Okay. Now, so that guy is blessed. Now look at verse 47. Assuredly, I say to you that he, that's the master, will make that servant ruler over all his goods. He's getting an unbelievable reward. Why? Because the servant wasn't caught off guard. He was doing what his master told him to do. And guess what? Our master is absent. He's given us the charge, and we must be about the Father's business. And if we're not, we're going to be caught off guard. And if you don't think so, look what happens in the next parable, which picks up in verse 48. Parable number 3. But, watch this. If that evil servant says in his heart, my master's delaying his coming. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and in an hour when he is not aware. He's caught off guard. Now, what happens is that the guy has an assignment to do. And at some point, he just decides not to do the assignment. Instead of probably feeding others, guess what he does? Feeds himself. Eats and drinks himself. Looks out for number one. Doesn't carry out the instructions that his master gives. And he says, um, my master in verse 48 is, is what? Delaying his coming. I hadn't come yet. Ah, he probably won't come for another who knows how many months or years or whatever. I just think I'm going to take advantage of this and do what I want to do. And he starts living selfishly. And suddenly the master shows up. That's what it says. The master in verse 50 comes on a day when he's not looking for him. An hour when he's unaware of. So this man is cavorting with wicked people, doing all these things, and suddenly his master shows up. Now, I don't know if the master showed up sooner than the man... I guess the master did show up sooner than the man expected. Didn't he? He was probably thinking he was going to show up... It's very interesting when you think about it. Probably thought the master was going to show up in, say, a month. He doesn't show up for two months. Seems like he's delaying... He's, come, he's, he's coming later than I expected. That's his first reaction. He's coming later than I expected. I thought he'd be here by now. He's coming later than I expected. And then he says, oh man, he's, he's just delaying this thing so long, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And then guess what? He's coming before he expected. He's caught off guard. And then what happens? Look what the master will do to him in verse 51. He will cut him in two and appoint him to his portion with the hypocrites. 
there shall be weeping and gnashing teeth. The man is judged. The man is judged. The ones who are caught off guard are what? Judged. You see that? The ones who are caught off guard are judged. The ones who are ready are rewarded. Okay? Now, it's interesting that God judges based on our works. Did you see that? The ones doing good works, feeding the other people. The other ones not. God judges on the basis of our works. Not on the basis of our profession. A lot of people say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, why call me Lord when you do not do the things that I tell you to do? So he judges on the basis of our works, not on the basis of our profession. Saving faith is a faith that works. Saving faith is a faith that works. Faith without works is what? In fact, he receives the same portion as the hypocrites because faith without works is a power. You say, I'm calling Lord, but then guess what? You don't do what he wants you to do. Guess what you are? So your profession has to match your actions. Otherwise, you're just a hypocrite. Isn't that why people don't come to church? They're a bunch of what? Hypocrites. So, Christ, by the way, may come sooner than we expect. So what must we do? Be ready. Christ might come later than we expect. Guess what we must do? Be ready. Now, I know one thing. He hasn't come for 2,000 years. I would say that's later than most people expect. In fact, I'm, it blows my mind when I think he hasn't come back for 2,000 years to set up his kingdom. In fact, the time between Abraham and Christ. The time between Genesis 12, Abraham, and the New Testament was 1,800 years. The time between Christ and us, 2,000 years. It's so hard for me to believe that there's been more time from New Testament to us than from Abraham to Christ. Just absolutely unbelievable to me. And as a result, there's a tendency, because of this delay, to say, well, he's just not going to come in my lifetime. See, that's just a natural tendency. So let me, let me just close by asking you a couple of questions. You ready this? How many of you believe he can come today? Well, it's all of us. Now watch this. How many of you believe he will come? Now look at verse 44. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming when? In an hour when you do not expect. How many of you believe he's coming today? No, but it says when you don't expect. Look at verse 42. Watch therefore... For you do not know the hour when your Lord is coming. So guess what? We must be ready all the time. Or as the old King James says, 
Therefore, be ye ready, for in such an hour as you think not, Son of Man. We should get up every morning and say these words. Today, perhaps, let's don't be caught off guard. Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour. Even he doesn't know. He's going to be caught off guard in the sense when God says, now's the time. So let's always be ready. Amen? Lord, we thank you for a passage of scripture that uh, relates to us right now and related to the first century church as well. You've been able to come for 2,000 years, and for some reason you have you've delayed your coming, as you said in 2 Peter, as Peter writes these inspired words. The Lord isn't slack in coming, but He desires that all should repent. And Lord, we know that that is the only reason you are delaying your coming, that we may get this gospel message out, that others can be brought into your kingdom through repentance and faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.